Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Thanks, Noah. That was awesome. I was, uh, um, this is probably my fault. Yeah, it is. Uh, there we go. Sorry, that was totally my fault. Don't blame Lucas. <laughs> I have two packs in one pocket, and I think I bumped the other one. You think it wouldn't happen that often, but it's, it's happened quite a few times. No, thanks for your story, man. That was awesome. That was super cool. I, I kind of was a little bit, like, surprised I didn't know what all you are going to say, and it was, I don't know, I'm just really encouraged by you, and, and dang, you're a good speaker, so. I'm also nervous when you almost got lost in the woods, but I'm glad that you made it out, so. <laughs> uh, well, hey, everyone. Welcome. Um, my name's Trey. I don't know if I say that very often, but if you didn't know, my name's Trey, and uh, I get to be the pastor here. I love it. It's great. I think uh, getting to just know every one of you more and more is probably the best part. Um, this week specifically, we are we actually finished our series called Baywatch, and hopefully all of you uh, now feel 100% secure in either being single or in a relationship. <laughs> uh, it's a joke because we learned that um, there's a gift in singleness and there's also a gift in marriage. Uh, but this week is kind of a unique one. We're actually doing what we call a one-off week where there's really no series. There's just something that I feel like the Lord has been kind of pounding in my heart uh, and to share with you guys. And uh, so this week is unique. And then next week, Justin, our very own, is going to teach next week, which is something I'm excited about. Yeah, Justin Smith. And then the week after that, we'll do one more. And then before we know it, it'll be Palm Sunday and Easter and Holy Week. So we're excited to celebrate that. That's kind of like the Super Bowl of Christians. So be excited, right? Um, so yeah, mo- uh, Monday of this week, I, uh, I went to bed at 7.30 p.m., <laughs> I don't know if some of you guys have ever done that. It's quite the thrill. Uh, I feel like like you hit a certain point in your life where that's when you know, like, you're no longer a super young adult. But um, I went to bed at 7.30, and uh, it was not really a choice that I wanted to. I'm kind of a night owl, but uh, I was actually really depressed. And uh, I would not say that I'm someone who naturally gets depressed very often. Uh, I, I kind of joke with people. I have like a few bad days a year, but uh, they're usually they're usually around February just because of seasonal depression and and uh, or I like work myself too hard and then I get sick and then I'm like sad and then I'm fine. Um, but yeah, it was just weird. I worked a normal day. I feel like I worked eight nine hours. I was done working. I was working from home, so I went from one room to the other room. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing how it, the commute was crazy. Um, and I was just I just felt heavy. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Uh, and I just was caught just like, I don't know, only thinking negative things or being discouraged. And, and I was trying to think, like, this is weird because I just don't, it doesn't happen very often. And um, just kind of felt blah. And I know you're like, oh, it's Trey. It's a Monday, okay? It's a Monday. But it was sunny out. It wasn't even like dreary and gray like it sometimes is. Uh, so anyways, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm aware of it because it's, this is not happening a lot to me. And so I was trying to kind of cerebrally figure out what's going on. Like, why do I feel this way? And I, I was like, maybe did someone say something to me? Did I just not get a lot done today? Was I fighting with someone? Was the weather? The weather was good. I really just couldn't figure it out. It was kind of bizarre. And so I, um, I was just, 
I felt like a like a, a rain cloud around people, and I was like, I don't even think Sarah wants to be around me. So I was like, I'm just gonna go to bed. I'll just I'll go upstairs. I'll pray until I fall asleep, and then I'll wake up tomorrow. Uh, and so I went to bed at 7:30, and I woke up at 7:30. So I slept 12 hours. Um, if you slept 12 hours, it's pretty awesome. But um, I tell you this story because one of our DNA statements at Contrast, one of the first things we did on Instagram. Uh, and basically one of the things that we just want to be known as a church is these 10 DNA points. They're basically like the culture that we want to create. If people were to look from the outside, inside, or spend any bit of time with us, there'd be characteristics like on a DNA of who we are as a, as a group of people. And uh, one of those ones, uh, one of the DNA points that we put in there was that we believe the gospel includes suffering and tension, and so we should embrace it. It says we want to be a church who welcomes the tension and suffering that comes from denying ourselves and also to be a church who is okay admitting that sometimes we aren't okay. And I, I thought about that because I think one of the things in church is so common is you, you, you show up and you feel like you trust people there, but no matter what, you're always having to be like, how are you doing? Oh, great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. You know. And so what happens then is the reactionary of that is if you're not doing well, you have a bad week, you don't want to go to church. In fact, church is the last place you want to be because you feel like you have to be a certain way to show up. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that's the case, but I thought, how fitting would it be to talk about the pastor who's up here talking, talking about how he didn't have a good day this week, and really, don't, I don't really have an answer. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like at the end of the day, I was like, oh, it's just all these things. I think there's some things that like if you're doing a diagnostic on a car, like maybe there's some lights, and I'm like, I should, I should look into those, but it wasn't like I had two tires gone, and I was like, I don't even know how I'm functioning. Um, and so I, I talk about this because I want our church, I want our people um, to prioritize the reality around being human, being sinners, suffering, and, and, and embracing it. Not in like a, like, I love the pain, let's do it, but just in like the reality of we're all, we're all dealing with it. We're all dealing with it. People who walk in here that aren't a part of us or haven't been here before, they're dealing with it. People that have been here since the start, People that have been a Christian their whole life are dealing with it. And sometimes you show up, and sometimes we have a great week, and that's awesome. I'm not saying you shouldn't be excited about that. But the truth is, a lot of time in church, it's the last place that you can really be honest about your suffering and your struggles. And I'm kind of the point of today is that I think we actually grow most in our sufferings, and I think if we actually embrace them instead of hiding from them, um, we, we really experience God in a much deeper and much more rich way. And so I want to talk about something today known as the wall. Luke just picked out this slide graphic because he felt like it was fitting. Uh, I want to talk about the wall. The wall is based upon this. Um, there's a book that um, these two people wrote. I can't remember their last names. I don't know. But they wrote this book. And uh, there's six stages of spiritual growth that they've, they've kind of combined. Now, it's no science. This isn't like perfect. But it's a very popular one. A lot of big churches maybe that you listen to use this. Um, and basically, there's six stages uh, and then there's this one in between the third and the fourth. Sometimes it's between the fourth and the fifth, but it's called the wall. And so that's what I want to focus on today is the wall. I'm going to go through all six pretty quickly just so you kind of get an understanding. Um, and if you want to figure out where you're at elsewhere, you can read the book. Or I'll give you an article if you don't like reading whole books. You can take the article and read it. But stage one is just the basic stage. Um, and this is just the recognition of God. Um, it's basically like you, you feel powerlessness because you're realizing how the weight of God. Uh, it's a sense of awe and awareness. Maybe you have like, um, maybe you're just feeling how big God could be. And what's unique about these stages um, is that they're not like, they're not like a, um, 
a like one's better than the other, if that makes sense. Like they're not like gradual, meaning, oh, you're at stage six, like you're a super Christian, I'm only at stage two. It's not how it works. It's actually that's why it's a circle on the on the graph, is because you're constantly in some area and that's like where you're just kind of experiencing God in that. Um, so it's more of like a uh, it's, that's why they call it a stage and not like a, it's not like a proficiency. And we've talked about that before a couple weeks ago where I talked about the, the graph where a lot of times we do gauge ourselves based upon others and how good we think they're doing. And that's what, how we, we then gauge ourselves. And so uh, this, sta- this stage is, is much different. Now, the, a couple of things though, you can't go from like stage one to five. You have to go through them. It's a progression. They build upon each other. And so for instance, stage one, you can get stuck in stage one uh, if instead of feeling love and awe, we think we can never measure up, we feel spiritually bankrupt or we feel unworthy. Kind of like Noah actually mentioned a little bit. He was kind of like, I, don't, I just don't get this whole gospel thing because I don't think it's, like, it just doesn't seem real. How could he love me unconditionally even when I know that I'm never going to be perfect? Total firstborn. Totally get it. I'm not a firstborn, but my sister would say the exact same thing. <laughs> um, stage two is the life of discipleship. And this is where you, you find the power of association. This is a time of learning, belonging, a sense of rightness and security in our faith. It's a season of filling and receiving. However, some people can become stuck here in this stage because they develop a we-against-them mentality, meaning they think about everyone else outside of them, they judge them because they're not in the same season as them, uh, and they have a rigidity and righteousness, kind of like a Pharisee, right? Um, you might be learning the things of God, or, or you, you've, you've actually cast sin out of your life, and you feel like God's been doing a work in there. And so because of that, then you're like putting down other people who are still struggling or because you've seen freedom um, so that you can get stuck in that. Stage three is the productive life. The power, you see the power of achievement. So faith at this stage is about working and doing things for God. Uh, a unique characteristic of this is a growing awareness of the community and using our gifts for the common good. So maybe when you, a lot of people, when they come to a church, they find Jesus that's kind of like, all right, how can we get you plugged in? How can we utilize your gifts? How can we help you serve others? That's kind of that um, stage. And so you can get stuck in this stage uh, by overachievement and weariness in well-doing. Now, the first three stages, I would say, are like, (laughs) it's funny, but like when I think about most churches I've ever been to or that I know of, like almost everyone's just stuck in those. And I don't say stuck in like the like the the bad way, but the reasons why we are stuck is because I think we're missing half of how we can experience God in our lives. And so the wall is important in why we're going to talk about it because the wall is kind of the precipice between those first three that we can probably find any Christians we know that are in those, and then the second three, which are kind of a, a completely different realm of understanding God and who He is in our life. So um, stage four is the journey inward. It's the power of reflection. Stage four is actually typically marked by a life or faith crisis, which is where the wall kind of is. Um, And it's whenever God is kind of released from our box. I don't know if you've ever heard that where people will talk about like, um, just like you kind of put God in this box and then they say like, yeah, God was way bigger than the box that I put him in. You might think you have gone all figured out. You might think you have all the answers and then all of a sudden something hits you, you read an article, you whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like this. And it, it causes your foundation to crumble and you, you start to like be fearful and you have all, like, like even with Noah, he had all, every, all of his life was built on that. So now everything feels like it's at risk. And so the, the journey inward, stage four, is basically experiencing a loss of certainty with life and faith and learning to live with a mystery. I call it kind of a tension. Um, I remember this was for me in college at one point whenever I went to a theology class. I was really excited. I had tons of questions. I was like, 
I just want to know all these things about God. I want to know about these scriptures that everybody talks about that are like really misunderstood or, you know, or the, the validity of some of the Bible, like the, the canonization of the Bible and creating it, all this nerdy stuff, right? And then I show up day one and the professor who is brilliant was just like, hey, I just want to let you guys know, like you're going to leave here with more questions than you had at the beginning. And I was kind of like, nah, I don't like that. Can I not take this class? And, but that's it, stage four. It's this life of like, we, we realize, we think we have God all figured out. We think about if I do a, X, Y, and Z, if I do the four things that Trey tells me to do as a contrast launch team member, if I, if I am nice to my mom and I love my friends and I'm generous, like I have it all figured out. You're in stage three, your life of achievement, right? But then there's this sense where we realize that God is much bigger than we thought he was, that he's gonna reveal himself in ways that we, we, we think we just have not all figured out. And he breaks out of that box and it causes, it's kind of a crazy, crazy tension. And so I, I said the wall um, sometimes can go in between stage four or five. And so that, um, in that diagram it was between stage four. Um, but I'll jump to five and then we'll come back to the wall. Stage five is, so stage four is the journey inward. Stage five is the journey outward. And that's the power of purpose. So in this stage, we work out our calling moved by freedom of healing and forgiveness. So it's characterized by a deep calm or stillness of the soul and a concern and focus on the best interests of others without trying to fix them. Those who live out their center in Christ are natural healers and they have relinquished their grief and anger over past wounds and live in a state of forgiveness. It's, it's the stage outward, the journey outward, because, because of your inward reality, it's affecting the way that you're loving and seeing other people. That's stage five. Then stage six is the last one, the life of love, and that's the power of wisdom. This stage is about a transcendent life with God. People in this stage are characterized by wisdom gained from life's struggles, a life abandoned to God, and compassionate living for others. Rarely are they motivated by what motivates others in other stages. This is living in the, I call it, in the first John 4:18, perfect love that casts out all fear. This is like living in and among that uh, in such a way that you just, you're just free in the freedom that Christ gives you. And so there's kind of the six stages. I would say that uh, the goal is not necessarily, I mean, you could probably like, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm in, you know, whatever um, in a certain stage. But you're not typically, uh, you might have a home stage, which means like you're naturally kind of just leaning towards that stage a lot of your time or life. But you might be in a season now where you're in a different spot or you feel like you're onto something. But the wall, and why I want to talk about the wall so specifically is because I think the second and three stages um, are so beautiful, so profound, but so unseen and untalked about in the church. I think the first three are easy. It's like, oh, this person comes to Jesus, they're really excited about it. They get baptized. And the second part, oh, they're starting to, they're in the Bible study. Oh, they're learning about God. They're learning about the Bible. Oh, stage three. Oh, they're serving. They're doing all these things. They're probably burning themselves out a little bit. They're doing way too much. And then we just kind of stop there. And the reason why we stop is because the wall and what the wall is, is it's basically... The, the authors summarize it as the mystery of our will meeting God's will face to face. Our will meeting God's will face to face, going through the wall spiritually and um, uh, physiologically. And it says, it says, this is funny, but it says, you cannot go through the wall working 60 hours a week. It requires solitude. The author puts it this way, the realization that fixing others, overhelping others, codependency or excessive enabling of others is not selfless service. They actually betray your self-esteem, and you have a, and your desire to control. So it's like, basically the wall is where the refinement happens, but the problem is the wall is typically the point where a lot of people just stop, which is why it's called a wall, because it's not easy just to hop over. In fact, Pete Scazzera, who writes a book uh, that maybe you've heard of called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, 
um, which I'm actually going through with some people. It's a great book. He, uh, he talks about how when he got to his wall, he tried to dig under it, to jump over it, to go around it, and none of them worked. And I think sometimes when we think about that, we, like, I'm just, yeah, I totally get that. Maybe you get that. So you're probably wondering, okay, well, what like, makes the wall? Because you're probably like, am I at a wall right now? Uh, some things that would be the wall are, are typically not like a, day, a daily, like a day-to-day thing, meaning like something that, like you had a bad test grade. Like that's not a wall. That just is a bummer that you got a bad test grade. Um, but a wall can be uh, a, a car accident. It could be a crippling debt. It could be loneliness or lack of community. It could be a betrayal, a disillusioning church experience. A cancer diagnosis, the death of a friend or family member, job loss, laid off, divorce, relationship breakup, uh, a deep desire to marry that is still unfulfilled, a dryness, loss of joy, or apathy with our relationship with God, or a mix of all of these. It's like the point where our faith or the foundation of what we had thought is just crumbling, and we can't, we can't, we can't deny it any longer. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of us have, are, are currently either in this spot, or we've been in it, or we're, we're approaching it. And that's why the wall, you might be like, God, oh, it's only one part of the six stages. But I think a lot of us, if we have not already been there, are going to be there or on the precipice of it or know people that are really wrestling with it. And the truth of the wall is, is you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. And going through it requires a decent amount of, of difficulty. And that's why our DNA point is we want to embrace the hardship the gospel requires. And I say require because Jesus says it requires it. That like following Jesus is hard. It's hard, and it's we find joy in it. But there's also times where we literally want nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, it's funny because one time I, I was kind of like no, I was having those thoughts where I'm just like, man, I just is this all really real, or am I just so like I'm set on it? It's hard to like see outside of it. And uh, someone asked me a question one time, and they said, what would you do if you, you weren't a Christian tomorrow? Let's say God's not real, whatever. Uh, what would be like the sins that you'd want to commit? <laughs> that was the question. I don't know if you've ever heard this question. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, I, was like, I, I wouldn't cheat on my wife because that's like I'm still married and love her. wouldn't do that. That's not cool. Um, I was like, I wouldn't steal things because I know, like, I feel bad I, if I was stolen from. Like, I wouldn't do that. And I just, like, kept, kept going through all these things. And I was, at the point, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe I just, like, drink a lot or, like, I don't know. Like, I couldn't think of anything. And I started to realize that, like, the the... Even, even just following Jesus with our doubts still allows us to understand and see, like, the way of God in our lives. Like, we, we get so enticed by sin, and then I'm asked that question, and I'm like, honestly, all that sin is terrible. Like, even if I wasn't a Christian, all of those things are not good. And so it made me really think that we, we don't really acknowledge a lot of our doubt in the way that we should. We don't really, we don't really spend the time wrestling, like Jacob did with God, where he, he just kind of pops his hip out, and he's got to limp the rest of his life. And we don't, we don't like, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to acknowledge the limp because we think it, it devalues us. But in reality, in that moment, that was the most powerful moment in his life. From there on, he became basically a nation. So I think the doubt in the wall is something that we have to be honest about. I think about the people in the Bible who faced several walls. Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons did he have, Father Abraham. He waited 25 years at his wall for the birth of his first child. Then 10 years later, God asks him to sacrifice that child. That's another, talk about a wall. That's another wall. Moses had so many walls, I can't even count, from birth to becoming Egyptian, to being out in the desert, to leading the Israelites several times. David ran away from King Saul for 13 years in the desert. That's a wall, 13 years. 
You're like, my wall's been a month. You're like, well, Dave was out in the desert in a cave for 13 years. So, Job, uh, Job, Job losing his 10 children, health and possessions, all in a day. So I know I said walls aren't typically a day-to-day thing. Well, in Job's case, it was. He lost everything in a day. Elijah, Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, you can name pretty much anyone. They've gone through a wall. And they're in the Bible because of it, because of the walls. Because those are the stories that we see draw them into deeper faith and trust in God. So today I want to, I want to draw in on Paul. So if you have your Bibles, you're probably wondering, like, where's Trey going with this? We're going to go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm not going to put it all up on the screen. We decided as a church we want you to be in your Bible on your own. So we're, I'm going to have some verses, but I'm not going to have all of them. So you better have your phone or Bible in front of you. Uh, if you can't read, find someone beside you. They'll read for you. Um, that was a funnier joke in youth ministry because some kids like really struggled at reading. So, but as adults, I don't know. Second Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians 11. We're going to talk about Paul. So Paul has went through tons of walls, and we have the honor and the ability of reading most of his walls uh, in a speech that's called the Fool's Speech, is what a lot of scholars call it, because basically he's in this tension where he's trying to develop status in Corinth. It'd be like if I came here and I'm like, guys, I'm an awesome church planner, and I was trying to like build a repertoire with all of you, and I try to be like tell you about all these great things I'm doing. Well, the Church of Corinth, we're already having people do that. So it's kind of like the whole, um, ah, what is the movie? I don't have it in my notes. I can't, what's the movie where... Uh, is with Eminem. Where, what's, what's it called? Eight Mile. Mile. Yeah, this is, this is off the cuff, not in here. But where he raps, and then at the final, he raps everything the guy was going to rap about him, and the guy's like speechless, right? So Paul is kind of doing that. The full speech is in some ways the Eminem rap in Eight Mile. And he, he just basically, like, he, he knows that I'm not going to brag about the things that everyone else would expect me to brag about. I'm going to talk about the way that God has moved through all of the crap in my life and all of the, the, the weaknesses. So in verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. Can you, sorry, can you imagine like, being in the ocean? Like almost you know, 15, 20 hours. Like it being fully dark and then you seeing the sunrise floating in the water. I'm sorry, I just was like, I'm a swimmer and I'm like, that's still terrible. I have been on journeys many times in danger from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers at sea, in dangers from false brothers, in hard work and toil, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, many times without food, in cold, and without enough clothing. I get mad when my, eight, my heat doesn't even work in my car. Apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me, on top of all that, of my anxious concerns for all the churches. He plants all these churches. He goes on missionary journeys. And he, these are like fragile churches. I mean, it's like, like 10 of us moving to the most unchurched city in the U.S. And, and being like, well, I hope we do all right. And like, I mean, he is worried because it's the start of the church, like as we know it. And he plants all these little churches. They're super delicate. They're in areas that have incredible oppression and, and idols and all, anything you can think of. He, Paul has no shortages of walls. In fact, it's funny because I feel like even though he's like, I feel like he's, he's always at the wall stage, but he just keeps breaking through one and just another one pops up. He has like 10 walls instead of one. But he's constantly uh, at these walls. And like I said, they're not like these little trials. Like these are like legit things in life. We're like, yeah, that'd be rough. 
like going without food or clothing, being cold for several days, being shipwrecked, like having your own friends abandon you. Like he's not just experiencing a bad grade or like his, his car ran out of gas. Like it is much more than that. And I don't know, I think about because of this criteria, the fool's speech that he gives, it, it kind of wins the Corinthians over. In fact, the end of the Second Corinthians is kind of like anticlimactic. He says all this and then he's like, I think he's like, praise and peace with all of you. Keep pressing on. Like, it's very like, oh. And I think what's so valuable about it is because sometimes, is, is that sometimes in the church, we should be able to talk about the hardships and it not just be like this joyful ending. Like, there should be times where I can, I can come up here and I can talk about, like, a Bible story or my life or whatever and it not, like, make you all feel warm and fuzzy when we leave. And it's, like, so uncommon, right? Like, that doesn't sell on Instagram, right? Like, I got to be up here yelling for Instagram, like people don't want to watch it, right? No one's going to watch this 45-second, like, sad story that just ends sad, right? Even, like, no, you say you got to have a kind of happy ending, but honestly, like, maybe I haven't felt the full resolution. And it's, and it's funny because we, we kind of act like no one else is dealing with that when a lot of us are. We're human. And so I, I love Paul's speech here because he doesn't just neglect all of it after. We don't just talk about our hardships and then say, yeah, 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 but like, you know, God's good. Like, no, he's human. He's, he's experiencing all this hardship. And he says in chapter 12, verse 10, so a little bit farther down, he says this. He says, therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. He doesn't say... Like, basically, yeah, all those things, are like, you know, they're here, but, like, life's great. And he's like, no, it's actually still really hard. Like, I'm content with all these hard things, but I'm actually weak. And he says, I'm weak in these moments, but Christ makes me strong. So he's not just saying, like, I'm just going to plow through all these, like, they're not hard and, like, they haven't been difficult. I think Paul, out of anyone, has, even uh, there's a, a scripture that talks about um, his thorn in the flesh and how, basically, he has this thorn that he can't like get out and he's praying for God to get rid of it and God doesn't get rid of it and he's basically saying that through that it has grown his faith. Like Paul is, is, is the most probably prominent character we see in the Bible who has experienced the wall, has seen the fruit of the other side of the wall and keeps doing it. So I want us to uh, talk about the other side of the wall. So yeah, the four characteristics of the wall, most people get stuck at the wall because they, they're not thinking about the vision ahead of it. Like you have to have a vision outside of the moment you're struggling. And so there's four characteristics that Pete Scazzaro talks about that I think are so important and worth acknowledging. And I think Paul had this mindset uh, at the front end. Number one, the first characteristic of our faith after the wall is that we have a greater level of brokenness. Once again, not something you're like, oh, that sounds really great. But remember when I talked about the graph, the more brokenness that we are able to understand uh, for ourselves, for others, for humanity, the, actually the high level of dependence we can have on, on God and Christ. And, and that's, that's the reality of brokenness, is like when we, when we start to question God or we start to struggle, we start to feel apathetic or we start to doubt, a lot of times what's happening is we think we're a lot better than we really are. Things are going really well. We don't got to worry about money. We don't got to worry about people. We haven't had any marital strife. We don't, like, we, we don't worry about all these things. We think we're better than we really are and we don't need God. And so we don't see the need for him and we don't look for him in our life. So the first one, greater level of brokenness. Brokenness in, in understanding that is actually maturity. The second one is a greater appreciation for holy unknowing or mystery. 
I talked about the box and how my, my, my co-RA in college, he would always say, like, I'm just going to need a bigger box. Like, he would just, God would do something in his life, and he would realize that the God he thought was, was not. He had put boxes and walls up around God, and, and God just broke those walls. And, uh, and I think we've learned that even reading, I don't know if you've been to core and you've been reading maybe a book in the Old Testament or like a letter, and you're like, I had no idea that was in there. I don't even know how to reconcile that. Like, this changes my like, life a little bit. Like, I didn't know that was a thing we should do or shouldn't do, or I didn't know that that character did this. Like, a lot of times you read the Bible, and that's where the box really explodes. Is like, we realize that the Bible, we have this idea of it, but then we start reading it, and we realize, like, wow, it's actually a lot different than what I had thought. And you realize, wow, actually, most of what I knew was just what people were telling me. And that's another one. You, you see this mystery, and the mystery is not bad. If you think about all the characters who went through walls in the, in the Bible, I think they understood a, a great amount of the mystery of God. When you say you have God all figured out, you really just have a really lame version of God figured out. Number three is a deeper ability to wait for God. Think about all the, the characters waiting. We don't get to read that in the Bible because we just read it straight through. But you think about 13 years when David had become king. He told, Samuel told him he was going to become king. And he just has to run away. He's, like a, he's basically a vigil, like vigilante. Saul's trying to kill him with all his men. He's got, David's got to deal with his hiding in caves, deserts. I would be like, 13 years of my life, I had to be out in the desert? It'd be like, if I like was, you're going to start a company. I'm like, oh yeah, it's going to do really well in 13 years, but you're going to go live in like a, a small town of 50 people until it takes off. And you're like, 13 years? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't sign up for that. I'd be like, that's not worth it. That's too long. That's like a decade of my life. 13 years. Abraham, I mean, we know Abraham was super old. Like, he lived a long time. But 25 years to wait for a child. Can you imagine trying to wait 25 years from when you wanted to have a child? Not like zero to 25, but 25 years from when you wanted to have a child? I just think about uh, Daniel. We talked about Daniel a few month, uh, month or so ago about how he had, like, was praying three times a day for several decades in the midst of a culture that was extremely anti-Christian, that was the farthest thing from Daniel, and he was still doing, he had the ability to wait on God. And the fourth one, this is probably the coolest one, is a greater detachment. You're not defined by things or circumstances. Jesus, when he's tempted in, I think Matthew 4, he, uh, he's tempted by three things. He's tempted by possessions, he basically, uh, the devil's like, hey, turn this into bread. He's tempted by uh, popularity. He's like, hey, throw yourself down, and you'll ever be like, whoa, this is crazy. And then he's tempted by power. The last one, where basically he can rule over the earth. Satan will give him the earth, right? And Jesus is tempted by those three things. He denies all of them, because Jesus had an immense amount of detachment from the things that cause us pain and struggling. I don't know about you, but you may have went through a wall, and the reason why you went through it and you've gone through it is because you realize the things that were attached to you were killing you or were affecting your relationships deeply. Like if you had this really bad relationship, and now you're in a new relationship or you're married or you're just even single being frustrated, you're realizing that like a lot of your, your difficulty, your hardship is because of that. And it's causing, you can't detach from it. It's just like eating you up. And so in the same way, Detachment is actually kind of a good thing because when we see it with Jesus, detaching from the right things builds intimacy with God. That's, that's even why like, like giving as a form of worship is giving because we believe that God will do greater things with our money than we will, but it's also a detachment. It's also an idea and a, um, a discipline of simplicity. It's saying, hey, I don't really need all this. Like I trust you 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove the weight of mammon, which is money, wealth, power. I'm going to remove that from my life because I know that if I hold on to it too much, I'm going to be a really bad God with all that stuff. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it away. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to whoever. And that's why one of the most intriguing stories that I read in Matthew is this story about Jesus sends out 12, and he sends out 70. He sends out 70 people to go basically cast out demons, share the gospel. And he just says, like, go with nothing. Like, don't even, don't even have another pair of clothes. And I always thought, like, this is so weird. Like, why couldn't they just go out and do that and have, like, another outfit, you know? Or, like, a little bit of money, you know, in case they got to hit an Airbnb, right? Like, come on. It's a good one. Come on. But why, why did they do that? I don't know. And I, I kept reading it and being like, I don't know. I guess just Jesus was like, he, was, he wasn't messing around, you know? But I think it's detachment. I think he, like, the, the weight of the test of discipleship and following Jesus was, are you going to detach from things? Are, if you think I'm great because you just saw me turn a bunch of bread into more bread, all right, well, like, let's go see if you really believe it. Like, let's, let's go throw all that out and then go see if you can go do it. And these guys come back and they're just like, I mean, they're just loving it. And even then, Jesus is like, that was great. That was test one, you know. <laughs> but they love it. And, and, and so I think about, like, our lives, like, Think about, like, what an opposite reality. Like, in COVID, if anything, I've bought more stuff online than I ever have in my whole life. Like, I just buy stuff, right? You just, I don't know if you struggle with that at all, but I feel like we're just constantly being sold to and buying stuff and needing more things, and, like, it's just ridiculous. Detachment is, no one's trying to convince you to get rid of stuff, unless it's goodwill, because they want it to sell it to more people, but, like, no one. So, detachment is, is incredibly freeing, but until we start doing it, we don't feel the weight of it. In fact, uh, Richard Rohr writes a book to men, and he talks about these five, five truths for men to grab a hold of spiritual maturity. Uh, this is just funny. I'm going to read it. Uh, number one, life is hard. Number two, you are not that important. Number three, your life is not about you. Number four, you're not in control. And number five, you're going to die. Those are the five things. I mean, that's not going to tweet very nicely. But those are the five things, and he, te- he says that because he says it's, it's a detachment. It's about like... Like, the life you think you're living is really not, really not about you, and it's really not, really not all that important. Like, it's detaching from ourselves, our own ability to make ourselves God. So when we're at the wall, we really only have a few choices. We can try and dig under it, and then it'll just pop up again. We can try to go around it. We can try to drag other people into it. We can um, act like it's not there, which I think is probably the most common. We just kind of like distract ourselves with other things like TV and money and other people and whatever. We act like it's not there, but it has been there and it's looming there. In fact, if any of you grew up in a dysfunctional family, there's probably a lot of that that is just, you don't even realize it's affecting you. And we're at this wall and there's really only a few things you can do. And obviously I think the best option is to cling to God in the midst of it. And not like churchy, just trust God in it. Like, Cling to God in a way that might require you to have to do some additional thinking, that might require you to have to be willing to leave your hands open and be afraid that God might not give you anything, or he might just show you a ton of ways he's really real in your life and you can't even deny it now. But until we let go of the things that we think, until we acknowledge the fact that the wall itself in front of us is something that we can't just plow through without Jesus, we're never going to get through it. I think a lot of us, it's, it's almost like we experience Jesus 101, like, oh yeah, he freed me from this thing. And maybe it was like a specific sin in your life, maybe you're, you're just dealing with hardship, whatever. Jesus 101, you're like, thank you so much, Jesus. And then we just stop. Like, we stop there as if there's no more walls or obstacles in our life that will come. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, maybe a few months later, you're going to have to need Jesus 201. You're going to have to understand a deeper weight of Jesus' love and sacrifice for you that you didn't understand the first time. 
I think I'm like, I don't even know how many times I've, I've been like, yeah, I think I know the gospel and, and I know the truth of it, but then I like, I, I re- I'm revealed such a deeper and more just soul-soothing truth about the gospel. I think it's the same way the wall is something that we remind ourselves, Jesus is probably going to show up in a way that we didn't maybe want or expect, or it might be hard the, the, the dealing with it. So I want to transition um, and close with this. The, the, we always bring a teaching to communion. And, um, and so I think the, the wall for us is, is obviously our opportunity to acknowledge um, first where it's at in our life, where it's in front of us. Maybe we just passed it and we're seeing the freedom of it. Maybe we feel like we're, we're approaching one. Um, but f- like figuring out where Jesus is going to be in the reality of that. And that's, I think, where we all have to be honest with ourselves. Because there's a lot of us that we think everyone else around us is just doing really well. But it, the truth is, they're not. You know, I had a really weird, terrible Monday. And I mean, I wouldn't say that was a wall, but I think it was something where it was like, you just would never know that, right? If you ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, oh, I had a great week. You never know. There's a lot of things no one knows about each of us that we're dealing with. So this is your chance to be honest with God. So I want to invite the band up, and I want to read uh, Jesus' wall which will give you, hopefully, some encouragement and solace. In Matthew 26, Jesus then went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And there he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he became anguished and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And so going a little farther, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and he prayed right here. This is his wall. You ready? My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That's a wall. That's Jesus being like, yeah, um, if if you don't understand the verbiage here, the cup is basically him being poured out. It's a sacrifice, which is why when we take the bread and the cup, the cup represents his blood. It's, It's kind of, it's referring to its symbolism at this time. The cup is the sacrifice and he says, let this cup, meaning I don't like want to do it if possible, <laughs> is what he's saying. The humanity of Jesus, Jesus had a wall. And, and he's stuck there, and he says, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. He doesn't, he doesn't throw away his doubt, right, or his difficulty. That's probably a better way to put it, his difficulty. He doesn't just not acknowledge it. He doesn't ignore it. He prays through it. And at the end of it, he says, but what you will. It's like every psalm David written. It was like, life's insane. I need help. I I need so much help. And then at the end, he's like, but I'm going to trust in you. And it's like, we forget about the two-thirds of it was like sad and depressing and really hard. Jesus is at a wall here. And then the last last, um, moment that we see, the wall that that Jesus gives later that day, within 24 hours, Matthew 27, he says, now... From noon until three, darkness came over all the land. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a loud voice. He's on the cross. He says, Eli, Eli, lima sabachnia, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge filled with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. Jesus broke through the wall. Just then, the temple curtain was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks were split apart. And the tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had died were raised. They came out of the tombs and after his resurrection went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, 
they were extremely terrified and said, truly this one was God's son. Jesus stood at a wall and he totally shattered it for us. He actually tore a curtain. So we're not alone, even when we feel like we're abandoned or we're, we're struggling or we are tired of the wall. And so I just want to encourage you, we're going to sing a song, we're going to have a little bit of time, you can reflect. The communion, the bread and the cup is reminding yourself of the wall that Jesus shattered for us, that he went through for us, willingly, even though it was hard. And uh, for you, there might very well be a wall that God wants to take you through, and you just need to be willing to let him. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.